listening to Conversations with Scholars. This section of the podcast is dedicated to the stories of marginalized bodies in academia. This is inspired by Black feminist sociologist Jacques Alexander and political activist Angela Davis. Davis notes the importance of how histories never unfold in isolation, and we cannot fully know our own histories without better knowing the stories of others. So let's learn each other's stories and follow a process of retelling, revising, reflecting, and relaunching. Dr. Jamera Salas Pujols is an assistant professor of sociology at Bard College. She earned her PhD from Rutgers University where her research was supported by the National Science Foundation and the Ford Foundation. Dr. Salas Pujols' scholarship examines how black girls contend with and challenge multiple inequalities in and outside of schools with a special focus on anti-blackness and gendered forms of subjugations. Her other work looks at the black identity, development of Afro-Latina girls, and the impact of in and out of school factors on black girls' schooling trajectories. here today with Dr. Jumeira Salas Pujos. Thank you so much for making the time. Um, you have such a beautiful background behind you. I love what you know the saying and what your wall says. I hope we can talk about it because it's such a conversation. Um, that's It's honestly just happening everywhere and I'm speaking in code but I'll let you say what you know say what's in your wall. Um, but yes yeah, so if you could just introduce yourself um, your research, your work, and how you decided to t- undergo graduate school, um, and yeah. Yeah, well, thank you so much first for having me. It's so um, exciting for me to be here. Thanks for inviting me. You know, so behind me, I have um, a sign that says much to be done and undone. And I really try to sort of live by those words. Yeah, we can definitely have a conversation around how that plays out in both my research and also in sort of my life as an academic. Um, and so, yeah, so I'm uh, Professor uh, Jamaira Salas Pujols, and I am uh, in the sociology department at Bard College. And my work really sits um, at the intersection of race, uh, place, education, and Black girlhood, right? So I'm really interested in sort of understanding how it is that Black girls navigate the world, um, the multiple worlds that that they inhabit, and how they're sort of drawing from that knowledge to challenge inequality. And that's really what I'm interested in is in sort of really thinking through excavating, spending time with Black girls who are sort of devising all sorts of creative strategies to push back against systems that have long try to marginalize them and their communities. So that's sort of the bulk of my work, my dissertation work, uh, which I'm working on turning into a book. And then I also have some other projects that are focused on sort of um, Afro-Latina identity, specifically as it comes to young Afro-Latina girls. I think about um, sort of dress codes and how that plays out in schools for Black girls. It's a particular mode of subjugation. And then I'm doing some new work right now around sort of street harassment and how street harassment impacts Black girls' educational trajectories. So, yeah, very exciting. Oh wow, that's um, that's that's a lot in terms of it's like three different projects. They all you know intersect, <laughs> um, but very interesting. So 
I'm curious, how did you get into this in the first place? You know, what was it something, was it a book that you read or was it a more of like a natural um, trajectory where you just ended up and you're like, oh, I don't know how I got this PhD, but here I am. <laughs> um, but yeah, how, like what was the journey? Oh, thank you for that question. Um, you know, for me, it, it, was, it was a little bit of a long journey. So I was in, um, in undergraduate school. So I got my bachelor's degree at Bryn Mawr College, which is a small liberal arts school, a women's college, actually, right outside of Philadelphia. And I was part of the Posse program. And I don't know how many of your listeners uh, know about the Posse program, but the Posse program is basically a scholarship that sends students to elite universities in the United States in groups of 10. Right. So the the sort of magic of Posse is not the scholarship. So the money, although that's very important, but actually the group work. Right. And so um, I had a mentor as part of that program who told me about the Mellon undergraduate fellowship. And so that's sort of where I started thinking about what a Ph.D. was. You know, my mentor, Pim Higginson, he knew that I was interested in like reading and writing. And he said, you should consider this sort of pipeline program that gets you to your Ph.D. And so I was part of Mellon for my last two years of college. And so from then, I sort of knew that I was going to pursue a Ph.D., and I took two years off, actually, after graduation to work for Posse. I wanted to make sure that I wanted to do the PhD, you know, so I didn't want to go straight. I had been in school for so long. At that point, I wanted a little, a little bit of a break. And I went to go work for Posse. And I said, oh, no, I think I definitely think I want my PhD. So I went in and I got my PhD at Rutgers in sociology and, um, you know, had challenging times, but also loved the work, you know, and we can talk a little bit more about that too. But, um, and the way in which I came into my particular project, right, my dissertation project is because I've always been a youth worker. So I've long done sort of workshops and facilitation with young people, even when I was a young person myself. So I started at like 14, 15. And so I got to my PhD and I immediately, I was like, I need to like get connected to some organization where I can do this work. So I got connected with the Sadie Nash Leadership Project, which is in New York City and in Newark, and they do youth work with young people of color. And that's sort of where my research came from because I was spending time at this organization, sort of leading workshops. At that time, I was doing their college access workshops, and I just became really interested in um, some of the dynamics that I was seeing with the young girls um, and gender expansive young people that were there. Uh, so I, I do want to backtrack a little bit. When you said when you when you worked at Posse and then you were like, oh no. <laughs> what was that oh no moment? <laughs> what was that no, no. oh no moment? <laughs> I think for me it was the nine to five, you know, like the oh, nine okay. to five. And and also I think for me it was like I really missed being in the classroom. Like I just mm -hmm. I loved being in the undergraduate classroom, like while I was at Bryn Mawr, like I loved reading something and like, you know, um, having a discussion with my peers about it. Like my favorite, my favorite moments are those moments where like, there's a spark, you know, and I'm like, I never thought about it that way. You know, like somebody says something and I'm like, oh, that's a nice way to sort of think about this 
text or like this issue or something. And so I deeply missed that. I missed having those sort of conversations and discussions. And so that's why I sort of knew that I wanted to to go back and get my PhD because I, I really, I missed the classroom. Yeah, that, that's mm-hmm. definitely understandable. I'm in my last semester for classes before I have to take qualifying exams. And I feel like I'm going to, I'm going to miss, I'm going to miss the conversations and I can see why later on people just go in and they just audit and sit in a class. Yes. <laughs> um, yes. There's something about like that conversation. And then, like you said, when you apply things, I'm like, oh, when people bring in their perspectives, it's like, oh my yes. gosh, yes. <laughs> oh, yes. And when you think about it, it's such, you know, and obviously it's, it's great that we have the time and the space to focus on qualifying exams and writing our dissertations, but that's actually the time where you want other people's perspectives and ideas the most too, right? As you're sort of developing a project. And so it's mm-hmm. interesting, yeah, to think about sort of the trajectory of the PhD and yeah, you definitely miss that, you know, the, yeah. the, the opportunity to take classes with peers and learn from them. And so relating this to, you know, the workshops you were leading in like youth leadership and youth development, how did you bring in their perspectives into your research and how usually it's just like there's always this dichotomy, whether it's in academia or outside, it's like, oh, you're too young, you don't know enough. <laughs> Let's yeah. like give you all this. But in this case, it's kind of the opposite, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. You're like, no, no, you know enough. <laughs> Let's yeah. see what yeah. we can work with. Um, but how did, I guess, the work you were doing inform your research, but also like oh, the communities okay. of like the Black girls you were with also mm-hmm. helped you be a better research researcher, wanted, want to do better? Um, yeah, I'm always fascinated um, by work that is by work that involves um, participatory, but like really valuing and centering lived people's like experiences mm-hmm. theory itself. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's it's always fascinating. <laughs> yes, um, thank you so much for that question. That's a great question. So you know, for me. Um, when I first got to grad school, I thought I was going to study sort of campus protests. So this was during the Mizzou time where Mizzou students had bravely, courageously um, sort of set a list of demands and taken over one of their, their the buildings there. And so I was really interested in sort of what was going on at the college level. But I was still going to Sadie Nash to do these workshops. And I was noticing patterns there that I thought were really like sort of important. Um, Specifically, I was like, you know, I realized that these um, these girls, these young people, they had all of these like critiques of institutions that were so nuanced and so complex. And I was interested in sort of like where that came from, how they developed that. Because for me, I felt like I didn't gain that until I got to college. So I was like, oh, what is it like to be like 14, 15 and like be a prison abolitionist? You know, like I just thought that was so like, you know, before prison abolition became sort of, um, you know, part of the public lexicon, right? Because I think in the past few years it has, but back in 2016, 2017, it hadn't, right? And so I was sort of really interested in these critiques and world visions that these girls had. And I was like, ooh, I'm really interested also in the fact that they are sort of critiquing like dress codes, for example, like today at Sadie Nash. And then tomorrow they have to go in and put in their uniform. 
You know, like mm-hmm. that was really interesting to me, that sort of like negotiation of like how these different spaces either enabled or constrained sort of their agency. So that's sort of where the where the work began and like what sparked sort of my interest. And I think one of the things, sorry, uh, one of the things that was really important to me was not being the researcher that was sort of standing in the back. Like I was like, what's most important to me, especially because I already have a relationship with these girls is to actually be with them and, you know, and, and hold these workshops and like, you know, have conversations about Cardi B and do so do all of that stuff. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's uh, it. Sounds fun too. <laughs> you know, like there's the work behind it, but um, oh, it there's so a fun. yeah. There's. <laughs> can you do you mind sharing some of your favorite moments? <laughs> well, I mean, you know, one of my favorite moments, which happened right when I got into the field officially, so when I actually came in, like with my my IRB project had been approved, was um the day uh it was like the day or like, I, i'm pretty sure it was the day after cardi b and Nicki minaj got into a fight at the what was it at the, <laughs> it was at, at some of those award shows or you know uh, fancy dinner yeah. galas i remember when the hands were being thrown exactly <laughs> okay so exactly so you remember and so i get in and you know and, 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 you know, it's a regular day because it, it's what we always did. But it was interesting coming in with sort of like, oh, let me observe like the patterns and what's happening here. And like the, you know, the students come in and they are just like hilarity. OK, like they are just like just saying all kinds of stuff about, you know, like, you know, Nicki Minaj and, and Cardi and like the shoe being thrown and like, you know, and but then like all of these nuanced conversations are also sort of embedded within that. Right. So there's stuff around like, you know, colorism. Right. And like respectability politics and like critiques around how like, you know, some of the some of the girls were like, oh, they shouldn't have acted like that. It, it was at the Vanity Fair. They shouldn't have acted like that at the at that Vanity, you know, and then other other students, other girls are like, wait, but why like why do we have to shift how we act you know so like really like the kinds of conversations that we in the academy all of the time exactly but in like a much more like in a funner way you know like you're sort of entering it with so much more both like levity but also care you know like speaking about care that's really important so i mean and i just remember being like I can't believe this is day one of like, of like gathering research, you know, like I was like, Oh, this is fantastic. And then, you know, we've had, we've had a lot of fun. I mean, we've had like paper towel dress con, con, um, uh, contest where the girls are sort of like, you know, dressing like competing about who's making like the best paper towel dress and like they're walking down the imagined runway and we're cheering them on so we had a lot you know we have a lot of fun um alongside with sort of like critiques but like you know and i think that's the great part like the different facet of the work that that you can't find in academia as often you know i think in academia sometimes we can take ourselves so seriously and like everything is like really serious and really dry you know and like these girls it's not that they don't care they're having these conversations but they're doing it in a way that both makes space for like joy for laughter Mm -hmm. um i mean 
you know, I one more because you know, I just gave oh, it to no, please, we had this, we had this uh this one day when um when we were sort of watching, we were learning about womanism and feminism that day. And so we were, we were watching a video and they sort of starting um, contrasting sort of what they learn in school versus what they learn at Sadie Nash. And so they were like, you know, here at Sadie Nash, like, why is it that it's, it has, we have to wait until we're at a space like this to learn about feminism and womanism and to learn about people mm -hmm. like Toni Morrison or like Angela Davis, like, what can we learn about this in school? And then one of one of like, one of the girls is like, yeah, like in school, all we learn about is like, you know, what is it? That lady from the bus. And then like the whole room just oh erupts laughter right and so like i write about and like you know and i'm laughing and i'm like should i be laughing should i you know like but in that moment right it was like it was like they were they were using humor and i write about this in my work right like the use of humor and joy to critique like schooling right like why is it that like when we learn about rosa parks it's only about like learning about her as like that lady from the bus and not like her long sort of history with activism and organizing, right? Or like, why is it that they're only learning about Rosa Parks and not like the long list of black women who have um, pushed in both visible and not as visible ways, right? And so um, we just, we had, we've had so much fun together. It is, it, I am so glad that I got to spend time with those girls. That sounds like so much fun. And it's like, they ask the questions that um that we're asking except that it's just not dry <laughs> you yeah. know it's not so dry and they're just like I know we're all thinking about this like come on yeah. you yeah. know so it's, um, it's real and it's raw and it's it's authentic in in yes. in that type of way that life is happening um and I guess yeah. I wonder so while you were doing this what do you think that you learned about yourself as a researcher and as a scholar or like mm. new ideas that sparked within you when you were like, I actually never thought how I started this is this is where I would end up or a sort, mm -hmm. a sort, a sort of type of transformation, you know, that mm. happened. You know, I always say that I think one of the things that um, spending doing that work with those girls, what it did the most for me is it gave me courage, right? It gave me courage to be honest about sort of like what I was finding and what I wanted to say, right? Because I think that a lot of times in academia, we can be trained to sort of like speak in particular ways or like engage with like the canon in a way that maybe means that like I'm engaging less with the actual scholars who are informing and sort of shaping my work and actually not even scholars, right? Because there's all sorts of organization and activists who are also producing knowledge and, and you know, individual people. And so I would say that from them, I gained like the courage to be like authentic, to be truthful, to be honest, um, and to sort of center the stories that I wanted to tell and to tell it, tell them in the way that I wanted to tell them, right? And so for me, I tried really hard to make sure that like the dissertation and, you know, all dissertations are bad dissertations, you know, but I tried really hard to make sure that the, that the dissertation mirrored the, um, the fun, the ethics, the um, 
the sentiment of what it was like to actually be in that space with the girls. Um, and so I'm really grateful to them to for like their their intense commitment to just be themselves, right? And I think that really inspired me to insert some of that into into my work, um, my dissertation, but also how I move in academia. That's so beautiful, the, <clears throat> the, this intensity and boldness to be yourself. And I think that's what that's what I love about like black girlhood. It's like it's 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 messy. I'm not going to lie. That's, <laughs> but also there's this um, there's an aloofness that I think we can learn from. And to that, I think we can talk about the much to be done and much to be undone. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. You know, saying of what do you think? during your process and I know you're still going through it because this you know the journey just never ends <laughs> um yeah a professor once told me and I appreciate her for that she said once she's like being in academia is like being in a sea where there's so much knowledge and there's so much to like there's so many places you can go and you're like mm-hmm. forever drowning with like information so sometimes you need a life jacket and I've tried to think <laughs> and you need a life jacket and you need to help those who probably could be drowning with you. Don't know where I'm going with this, but what are some of the things that you've been unlearning um, that you think working with, you know, these communities helped you unlearn? And then when you bring them into academia, when you bring them into academia, do you get pushback? Are they like, mm. no. This is this is not what we do here. <laughs> hmm. Mm-hmm. That's a great question. So the first thing is that I want to uh, first um, mention that the yeah this beautiful sign was made by Rayo and Honey. So it's from a black woman who made this. Um, I'm pretty sure her studios in Brooklyn. I bought this many years ago. So yeah, to give her credit for um, for this sign. And yeah, okay. So what did I have to? What did I learn? to unlearn, right? So I think for me, the first thing was this question around like taking yourself too seriously. Like when I mean, when I say that the, like doing this work is what sustained me in academia, I really mean it because so many times the politics, the overwork, the seriousness of the work can sort of um, distract, it, it, it can be all consuming. And there were times where I felt that, you know, where I felt like the intense, the intensity of it, the, the push to sort of keep achieving and keep working, even if, even if to exhaustion was real. Right. Um, and then I would go to Sadie Nash in the afternoons and like, you know, we're laughing about Cardi B and Nick, Cardi B and Nicki Minaj, or, you know, talking to a young person who was experiencing homelessness. Right. And so like in many ways, I think it's sort of, um, I had to learn to sort of gain perspective around like, what is this work for and how can I do it in a way that is sustainable? Right. And so I'll say that to be completely transparent, one of the things that's been most important for me since um, having started this this research and this work is learning how to, you know, set boundaries, learning how to sort of make decisions about what my particular academic path will look like, right? Like, who is my commitment towards, right? And so what that means for me, at least in this moment, is like I am committed to the young people that I work with, both inside and outside of academia. So that means my students and also, yeah, young people at St. Inash and through other youth work that I do. 
and I'm committed to sort of producing work that is ethical and that has an impact. I am not as committed to sort of working within institutional um, uh, boundaries to sort of shift, try to shift systems that have no intention of shifting, you know? So I think in many ways that sort of, that was a commitment that I made even when I was in graduate school, you know, where like people were like, oh, we're going to get together and sort of try to shift this thing. And I was like, actually, you know, like my, my time and my commitment, I think is better spent with the, at Sadie Nash or in these other sort of engagements that I have outside of academia. And so that has been life sustaining for me, you know, because I feel like I'm still connected to sort of the work that I'm passionate about, the work that, um, is sustainable for me, <laughs> the work that I can sort of go to sleep at night, even if exhausted, but feel like, okay, well, you know, at least like, at least I did this thing that I really care about, you know, even if I'm really tired. Um, and so it sort of helped me get clear about where it is that I want to spend my time in a career that honestly tries to wring every, like <laughs> every sort of ounce of water out of you, you know? And so I really appreciate that from, from them. And then to your second question around getting pushback, you know, I have to say, that I am so lucky that I had an advisor who wanted me to write the dissertation that I wanted to write. You know, like I just had an advisor, um, her name is Saida Densi Flores at Rutgers in the sociology department, who was so invested in helping me sort of bring the girls in in a way that I wanted to bring them in. I was also lucky that Dr. Ruth Nicole Brown, who sort of, you know, a lot of people see as like the founder of Black Girlhood Studies. She is, she's incredible. She responded to a cold email from me. Will you be on my dissertation? And she was like, yes, I'll do it. And I said, wow, like, you know, and so like, I'm really lucky that I had people who supported my work. And to that, I will say black women, right? Like black women who were already tenured, who sort of did that work. And so one of the things that I'm really interested in is in sort of giving credit and talking about what it's like to be part of my generation of scholars who has some, not enough, but some um, black women who um, have gotten tenure and who have supported our work, you know? And so for me, I feel it. Like I, I feel the difference and I felt it while I was doing my dissertation um, from some of my peers who did not, who were not working with sort of um, black women on their committees. Um, and for me, it just allowed me to write the kind of dissertation that I wanted to write. And so they were like, yeah, put the girls in, you know, like, let's let's get them in here. Like, you know, and so I'm really, really grateful that I came into academia at a time and that I was mentored by people who sort of had paved a path for me that made it not easy, but less challenging. And that created space for me to write, again, the dissertation that I wanted to write. Mm. That's so beautiful. And yes, it's mm -hmm. just thinking about having, you know, being lucky to be a part of this generation that can look up to the ones who did it before us and, you know, and just love and admire their books so much and the work that mm -hmm. they've done and can barely imagine what they had to go through in order for us to be here today and do the things mm -hmm. that we want to do and write mm -hmm. the dissertation that you want to write. Um, but mm -hmm. most importantly, what you when you were talking, it made me think about, you know, this 
how now a mentorship is like being thrown around just along with a bunch of other words, <laughs> like such as yeah. allyship, et cetera. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it, yeah, they're just so many words. But <laughs> yeah. when, when you, um, because I think there's a difference when, as a, as a graduate student, when you receive like excellent mentorship, it helps the way you come out of graduate school and from the pattern of the way these conversations are going, you come out happier, you come out more confident, but most importantly, you come out ready to help somebody else also do their best um, mm-hmm. and challenge them. But for you also want this other person to do their best. You're not, you know, necessarily, I don't know, you don't come out in a different way, but you come out yes. of like ready to, to generate more of what you have and more, more oh, of what yes, was given yes. to you. So what oh, do yes, you think yes. in your relationships of these mentorship with your mentors that yeah. you've learned, yeah. that you've kept, um, mm. that you're still thinking about maybe? Or yeah. another thing, what have what has the um, the juniors taught you? Because also, you know, young people teach oh, us how yes. to mentor. Yes, <laughs> just like, yes, don't yes, yes. Some people want to listen, yes. some people don't want to listen, but they're just like, yes. that is not a, I mean, that's not an approach that's going to work. <laughs> yes. Um, I think you can always learn um, both, you know, either from, from seniors or from yes. Like, juniors. Yes. Oh, I love that question. That is such a good question. Um, you know, let me start with the last part, which is like, what did I learn from the participants at City Nash? We call them Nashers. Um, you know, I think one of the main things that I learned was like you in mentoring relationships or in, in really in any sort of relationship, you have to be willing to share parts of yourself too, you know? And so that's really important, right? So you have to sort of be willing when you're asking people to be vulnerable or to sort of share, uh, issues, questions, then you have to sort of be open to being equally vulnerable and equally open to sharing questions. And so for me, that was very easy. That was apparent right away when I was spending time with the girls, even before the research part, which is also critical for the research piece. But even when I was just in there as a youth worker, you know, it's like you come in and it's like, they're like, oh no, like, I'm also interested in like, what you learned about sexuality growing up, you know, like, don't just come in here and ask me to reflect on what I learned. Like, I want to hear what you learned too. And if you're asking us to like be in these conversations, are you willing to put yourself on the hot chair also? And so when you think about it as like a research practice, that's also really important, right? Because what I find is that young people, especially, right? Like they can be distrustful, distrustful um, of adults. And um, a lot of that is because they feel like adults want to shape them into particular, in particular ways without sort of, yeah, like you said, being open to that reciprocity, right? And so one of the things that I learned right away was like, yeah, you have to be willing to share parts of yourself. Um, you have to be willing to sort of, um, be open to making mistakes openly, right? To acknowledging your mistakes. So that for me was critical. And I think it just made my work so much richer, you know? Like I, I think because I was so, in parts of my dissertation, you know, I write about like my own patterns, like my own experiences sort of navigating particular spaces that the girls were navigating. So I think that's, that, that's something that has shifted for me. 
And then in terms of the mentoring, absolutely. You know, I think that's the thing that like once we get into places, we want to make sure that we're opening it up for other people, um, opening doors, never closing the doors behind us, um, having sort of a mindset of abundance rather than um, competition and, um, and like lack, right? Which I think can happen so often in academia. And I'll say for me, you know, um, one of the things that I sort of learned from my mentors was, yeah, to tell the stories that you want to tell. And so, for example, for example, right now I have, I'm advising two senior thesis for undergraduate students. So I'm working with two undergraduate students who are brilliant, so smart. Um, and one of the things that I'm really invested in is like, not in telling them what kinds of senior projects they should do, but in sort of answering, filling in gaps that they ask to be filled, right? So that they can sort of tell the stories that they want to tell. And one of the things that I was just saying this to one of my students the other day, I always think of the Angela Davis quote that said something like, something, it's a story. And it was like a, an, a young activist came up to Angela Davis and was like, oh, we stand on your shoulders. Like we stand on your shoulders. And she was like, yeah, but if you stand on my shoulders, it means that you can see farther than I can. And thus you have like, you have more perspective and a bigger vision than I do. And so I think one of the things that I learned from my mentors who were always willing to learn from me, yes, is to be willing to learn from my mentees and to sort of be open <laughs> to the ways in which they push the discipline and academia further, right? So like one of my students said, like, she wants to write a, a, a senior thesis that is unapologetically black. And I'm like, yes, you know, let's do that. Let's, let's work with you to write a senior thesis that's unapologetically black, you know? And so um, it's exciting to me, right, to be able to like, see young people change, younger people, right? Like, change our, our discipline, change how we do academic work, in ways um, that just make it richer, more rigorous, um, more fun, um, and more sort of centered on this goal of actually addressing social problems. Oh, that was so beautiful. I, I love, I love that. And I know I can relate in, you know, terms when I was Going into graduate school, I was fearful that I was going to be someone's minion. And that at the end of it, I would be done and I would not recognize myself. That was my mm -hmm. biggest fear. I was like, mm -hmm. I will do the things I love. I will still play Sims. I will still, <laughs> you know, still yeah. read the books that yes. I love for fun. Yes. That I will still, you know, I don't know, like not be that person yes. that has to know yes. it all. No, I just sometimes just, you just want to chill. <laughs> um yes. The yes. knowledge helps you, but you don't want, yeah, that was really the biggest fear of mm -hmm. having, you know, someone who would, instead of like you're saying, fill in the gaps, they would yeah. shape you to become whatever they wanted to become. And oh, I was yeah. like, how yeah. would I make sure that I would still stay in touch with myself, but in touch with the community that I came here to, to represent? Um, mm -hmm. So that, that mm -hmm. that's very important and it means a lot. And yeah. I'm so glad she can write a thesis that's unapologetically black <laughs> mm -hmm. because I think it does something to you if you can, when, once you start doing that at a young age, then you, mm -hmm. it becomes your norm. It becomes a habit and that can, that can just be so powerful. 
Oh yeah, I'm telling you, the young like young people, they are ready to sort of redo every institution that has been built, you know, to tear it down and build something anew. And I'm for it, you know, like that's the kind of stuff that I'm like, you know, yes, like why is it, for example, that like we're told time and time again that we have to cite the canon, you know, like I was trained in that way. And in so many ways, they're like, why do we have to do that? I don't want to cite the canon. I want to cite the scholars who are actually relevant to my work. Right. And so, and so like to hear that, you know, at like, you know, they're like 20, 19, 18, um, and to hear sort of that commitment and, the again the rigorousness because it's not about only tearing things down right but really about like imagining different different modes building a new right um it's really exciting to me and i just cannot wait to see like what sociology what academia is gonna what interdisciplinary programs black studies program women and gender studies program will look like in 20 you know 20 years once these people have entered and sort of totally reshifted what we think of when we think about yeah. academic training. It's really exciting to me. Yeah. Oh, it really is. <laughs> mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. you, know, you, you mentioned the community. You also mentioned making sure you engage yourself with things that will help you sleep at night and make you feel like I did something today that even if I was tired, I feel good about. What were some of the things that helped you um, get through some of the lows in graduate school? Oh, that's a great question. Um, and maybe people. it could be, okay, okay. <laughs> I was thinking like, was there a piece of art? Okay, people, people is always a good thing. <laughs> I mean, a piece of art, I mean, I mean, I always think about um, Solange, a seat at the table. You know, like uh, that came right at a time when I was really <laughs> struggling in, in high school and I, in, in grad school. And so I was I was always listening to that. But for me, it was it was people, you know, it was like having people who were willing to sort of say, like, you know, you could not try to give this a try. Like you could just like keep taking this or you could try it a different way and then be able to look back and say, even if it didn't work out, at least I tried you know? And so I think that like having, or people who were like, it doesn't matter whether or not you get this fellowship or this grant, like the fact that you, you know, that you are doing the work and are thinking about these questions, it's important enough. Like there's no grant or fellowship that I can put, that can put value on who you are as a person or the work that you produce. Um, and so for me, that's what helped me to be 100% honest, was people, friends, family, colleagues, mentors, um, who were just like, it doesn't matter which way you slice it, Jamaira, like, you're gonna be fine. And you know, you're gonna, like, you know, you're gonna be okay. Anyways, you're gonna make it through um, in whichever sort of uh, path you take, right. And so for me, that was really important. Because yeah, it's not to say that graduate school is not hard. It is hard. You know, like, it is hard. It can be really isolating. Um, there, it, It's like the perfect storm for sort of imposter syndrome to develop, particularly as Black women, right? Like, you know, it's sort of like, it's it's sort of like, you know, it, it, it sort of can make you, cre it creates distance from yourself to yourself. You know what I mean? Like it sort of separates who you are from what you do in a way that's very, weird and and sad and lonely and so it's not to say that it's not hard but I will say that I think that yeah like 
being connected to sites like Sadie Nash, being connected to people who care about me as a person, not just as a scholar. My advisor cares about me as a person, not just, you know, you know not just as a scholar. I remember one time I walked into a meeting and I like started crying and she was like, just go home. Like, you don't have to be here. Just go home. This doesn't matter. And so that really um, is what helped me make it through through the challenging times. Um, yeah, it's it's yeah. it's no joke. Grad yeah, school is hard. It's, it's, um, but that it's very beautiful that you mentioned this acknowledgement as a as a human first, and then yeah. you know, and then everything else will come. But having this um, subjectivity approach, or having this. Just just being, even if you're just angry, you know, like <laughs> instead of being, you know, labeled all sorts of different tropes, it's just acknowledging your humanness and valuing that because it informs your research. And it's just very interesting to see those who, and I, I honestly don't know how, you know, some women can do it, but it's amazing, but it shows up in the work. When the dissertation mm-hmm. ends up being a book, you can see mm-hmm. like the the process that they went through, <laughs> you know, whether yeah. it's in the acknowledgement, yeah. but I know there's a book by um, feeling, but feeling by um, Bettina Judd. And I mean, she clearly mm-hmm. lays out, you know, the process that she was going through and she explicitly says, I was not trying to write, you know, that academic book that was going to be, <laughs> and, yeah. but it was just so beautiful. It's like the whole process yeah. comes together and I think this is being done by embracing all of you, you know, not yes, just your scholar yes. side, not just, you know, like your professional side, but embracing all parts of you throughout the whole journey. And it's hard to go through, but it's a, it's a beautiful thing at the end. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. And, and, you know, it means like getting really clear about sort of like what your center is mm. you know because and and sort of like what that like the benefits but also the sacrifices that you have to make right so for me like i know like my work is not going to be published in like the top socio the top sociological um uh article journal journals right like mm-hmm. my work is not going to be published there because i do a different kind of work like i don't have the same sort of systems theories that that they may value and appreciate but to me that I don't see that as a slight or like as a challenge I see mm-hmm. that as just like I don't I wouldn't want to publish with you all anyways actually because the ways the stories that I want to tell y'all are not equipped to be able to tell them you know like you don't have the range or the audience to tell the stories that I want to tell right and so in many ways it's sort of pushes you to make choices, right? But ultimately, when you're clear about what your center is, it it helps, you know, it helps you sleep at night. Ultimately, that's what it is. You know, it helps you sleep at night. Um, and it helps, and it makes the work, again, more honest. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. I appreciate that. And so was there, I guess, so was there something else? Um, I know I interrupted you, but a piece of art, was it Solange Seat at the Table? Um, so was that like the song <laughs> that helped? Yeah. Oh my God. Wary. Wary from Solange. Oof. The, the number of times I played that song. Yeah. I played Solange a lot when I was, um, yeah, when I was like going through some of the worst times in grad school, playing a lot of Solange. Mm. Um, you know, 
I was watching a lot of TV, like, you know, like I would watch like whatever, like Real Housewives of Atlanta or something as a way to just yeah. like decompress and sort of. talk about how that is like a sociological, like for me, the, the Real Housewives is a yeah. sociological case. It's a oh case my God, study. For like, sure. <laughs> oh, for sure. You have colorism, you have classism, you have respectability politics, you have all sorts of, you know, you're thinking about like the white refrigerator or like, you know, all of that stuff. I love it. I mean, you know, for me, it's a, it's a, I, I'm still like a real housewife. So you, you, you need to do a, a talk where you, as a sociologist, you break down, you know, like what's going on here. That would be so interesting. <laughs> I should. I certainly should. I certainly should. I should teach that, you know, use it as a teaching oh tool, a teaching method. Yes, 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 yes. If you live stream it, you'll get a a, a number. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yes, no, I love that. Yeah, but but Solange, a lot of music, um, and then you know, I live I live in Newark, which is like thirty minutes from New York City, and so I spend a lot of time going into museums, right? So, the Brooklyn Museum, um, especially, uh, and so just or, or visiting different different art galleries there, and so. Walk, just walking. I did a lot of walking also, like just to clear my mind. I'm like, the next place I move has to have a park nearby because like being able, I live by a park now and being able to just like, just be like, okay, I'm putting on my coat and I'm just going to go for a walk. Incredibly helpful in terms of mindfulness. And then I, I, I was doing a lot of yoga back then too. I've, the tenure track has gotten me off of yoga I have to go back to it but those sort of like mindfulness practices were also really helpful um both in the moment to calm down but also in general just to build a practice of wellness I specific I especially did a lot of that during the dissertation writing phase I was working with a therapist and she really sort of encouraged um those wellness and sort of um physical practices that are always tied to the mind and to the, into the heart, right? Like the body, everything is sort of together. Mm -hmm. And so what would you say, um, you know, to those who are currently in graduate school or those who are like young faculty members um, about their journey, you know, from, from what you've learned or what you now know? Mm. That is such a good question. So, you know, maybe not so much faculty members, actually any faculty member, tell me what to do because this is a whole nother, this is, being a faculty member is a whole nother hurdle with its own challenges that I have not yet figured out. You know, I started in September, so I'm still like threading water oh, over here. Congratulations, Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. But, you know, what I would say to grad students is like, I, I would, I, I think it's about finding your center. It's about finding your center and finding also, you know, we talk a lot about um, like mentoring or specifically like networking up. And I actually think that like what really sustains is like work with peers, right? So when I was working on my dissertation, I had a writing group with one of my friends who I actually met through a Mellon program. And like, there would be no dissertation without Anna, 
Okay, like like there would just be no dissertation without me work. My dissertation wouldn't have happened without my work with her, you know, or like I have another group of uh, black women scholars and we meet every couple of weeks and we um, read each other's work and give each other feedback. So I would also say like, find your people, you know, like find the people who nourish you, who, um, who remind you that you're more than the work that you produce. Um, and build building and then practically i'll say like building habits is for me at least really helpful like i think building habits whether it's like wellness habits or writing habits like being able to say like i write like for me i write every monday from 9 to 11 i'm always unavailable on mondays from 9 to 11 it doesn't matter what it is that is like you know my like you can imagine i'm teaching you know because i'm just i'm just totally unavailable so like building those habits um, I think it's really important. But yeah, people, finding people, finding community who, you, who you're accountable to and who love you, not just for the work that you do. And then finding your center, right? Like getting real clear about what I'm doing and why I'm doing it. Because when that comes, then the swaying of academia, where academia tries to sway you one way or another, you'll find it much easier to sort of stand where you are. Um, and to seek the opportunities that benefit you and not the ones that drain you. Mm. So that's what I would say. That's so that's really helpful. Yeah, that was beautiful. I think we can we can end there. <laughs> but thank, thank you, you so much, Dr. Pujols. This was such a great conversation. Um, and <laughs> I'm excited to see what the next generation is going to do. It's going to be fun. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much, Fatima. It was so great to be in conversation with you. And thank you for creating this space. Yeah, for us to, you know, for us to learn from each other and to um, build each other up. We need that kind of work in academia. So I appreciate you for creating this space. Thank you so much. <laughs>